Welcome to the Diverse Church Podcast, a conversation to help you multiply diverse disciples in churches. Uh, My name is Tyler, and I'm here uh, with my co-lead pastor, Jameson Horton. What's up, what's up? Yeah, Yeah, man. And uh, we have, uh, we're giving leadership to a church called City Light Benson here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Just give some context for us. And uh, we are joined by a special guest, Josh Siders, uh, is, on the, is on the show today. What's up, Josh? Uh, hey, hey, good to be with you all. So Josh and his wife, Sarah, have been pastoring the Well Church in Manhattan, Kansas, since 2010. Uh, he's also the church multiplication director for the Kansas District of the Wesleyan Church. Uh, his wife, Sarah, is also a gifted leader and communicator uh, who uses her talents in multiple organizations uh, to promote her passion of prosperity and justice uh, throughout their city of Manhattan. And they have two sons, John and James. So uh, Josh, it's so good to have you on the show. Uh, just yeah, for our, just for our listeners to know, I was a part of your church before I was a pastor. So yeah. I was on staff with crew for seven years in Omaha, and then got asked to go down to Manhattan, Kansas, to K State, uh, go Wildcats. And I was there for about two years or so uh, before coming back to be a church planner here in Omaha. And uh, it was a phenomenal experience. So mm. coming from Omaha down to Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, I had been a part of a, a heavily reformed church, uh, very theological, lots of people there that were highly educated, and, and I grew a ton. Yeah. But kind of coming down, I sort of had this, uh, this idea that, that, that I had the best theology, uh, that you know, ref- the reformed camp were the ones who were, who were right all the time. And, and I'm not blaming anybody but myself, but that's just kind of how it went. And so when we went looking for a church, uh, we we were told to, to visit the well. There's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good uh, positive comments being said about the well. So I went knowing that it was in a different camp, you know, like it was Wesleyan Church, more Arminian, less Reformed, um, and it was charismatic. You know, yeah. I had not been a, a part of a church that uh, was more expressive and just using the charismatic gifts, and so it was very different. But when I stepped into that room, I felt uh, just an atmosphere of love. Uh, there was a, just an accepting culture. And me and my wife felt super loved. Uh, we loved the expressive culture. Um, we loved your preaching. Man, you were preaching Jesus, preaching fire every single week. And so that, that kept us there, even though it didn't fit all of our check boxes. Uh, we said, man, th- this place is a place where Jesus is preached and people are loved. And so we're gonna, we're gonna make this our home. And so that's how I got to know you. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and so it's fun now to be able to stay in touch with you and, and especially on matters of justice. Um, yeah. I see what you've been, you've been posted on Facebook, keep up with you on social media, and it's been so encouraged. And so I'm mm-hmm. glad that we can let our listeners in on some of the things that you've been up to and how God's been just changing and shaping you in, in amazing ways. So can you just start back, you know, where'd you grow up? Kind of give us some context, you know, for your early childhood up until... Uh, college at K-State there and becoming a pastor. Let let us know a little bit about your story. Yeah, so I I grew up in Wichita and we we didn't really grow up in church. We went uh, for the major holidays and then I I had some cousins, a part of a youth group, so I went kind of sporadically in my high school years. So I didn't really grow up. I I grew up with a concept of God, but not not a relationship with God and, and certainly not a relationship and an understanding of Jesus. And so I, I hit the party scene at college pretty hard. And, and I would say I grew up with this more, uh, the, I call it this Midwestern moralism, where it's uh, do good and be good. And, and I felt good about that. I felt good about like God and I are, are good because I do good stuff and I'm a good kid. And then I got saved my last semester in college and it just totally turned my world upside down. And, and I just, I knew at 23 uh, if God is real, and, and I believe he is, he, he deserves to have all of my life. And I just wanted to s- spend my 20s uh, pursuing God. And as far as like justice and diversity, I again, I, th- I grew up with this Midwestern moralism where um, I, I went, I, I, it, our, my school was more kind of a suburban feel in Wichita. So there were some uh, students of color there, but most of my, my friend group um, was, was not... Uh, diverse. 
I, I would say the most diversity uh, I, I experienced was playing sports, wrestling, and, and football. And, and that was about it. And still, there were cliques even on the team. So, you know, I, I went to college and, and joined a fraternity and, and similar experience. Most of my ex, uh, interactions with people, professors, it, it was all white. And so, I remember even in college having this, because um, I, I uh, had dated a girl who was from California and her um, upbringing was much more diverse. And she had mentioned that she had dated um, someone from a Hispanic background. And it, it just, for whatever reason, didn't sit right with me. And so I would say I had, I had some um, racist um, hmm. uh, like worldviews or, or at least upbringing, but it wasn't overt. It wasn't like I was yeah. taught this. It wasn't like my parents made comments about uh, people or, or any of that stuff. It was just sort of this, I think my, my environment helped produce this understanding that wasn't contradicted ever, right? And so when I got saved, uh, within a year or two, I, I just really uh, started to become a reader and, and podcasts were really young, but um, were available. And so I started listening and learning from, from different, um, you know, different teachers. And I, I, I heard this teacher, I remember this very vividly at about 24, um, make a case for interracial dating and marriage mm, and wow. just laid out really like God created all of us. And it just made sense to me, even in my really young theological understanding, um, it just made sense to me. Like, like I had believed something that was not true and I'm listening to learn. And this, this teacher that I, I looked to is, is making this very, very biblical and very, very rational case for uh, interracial dating and marriage. And, and that, that sort of like, that may have been the beginning of my journey. Uh, certainly it wasn't till in my thirties where that really got fleshed out. Um, but I do remember also uh, my wife and I started dating when I was about 20, 27, I think. And um, she was a foster care social worker at the time. And she, like one of the early conversations, we had was, do you want to adopt? Can you see yourself fostering and adopting? Um, and, and that was, I didn't know it, but I knew it. That was kind of that make it or break it question that, you know, your girlfriends ask you to see if you're really marriage material. <laughs> yep. Yep. And out of my heart, out of my mouth came this like, yeah, I always envisioned myself kind of having this rainbow family. And that was a phrase that, that she had kind of said to herself even, and, and that, I wouldn't say that was the only thing, or that was the main thing, or that was the, you know, there, I still had more hoops to kind of, I shouldn't say that. I, I had more, more tests to pass yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to, to make it to husband material, but that was one of the early big ones. And so I would say in my, in my 20s, something really started to shift as I, as I looked at our world and, and the problems that we were facing and, and seeing issues of, of racism, even in our country. I know your wife, uh, Sarah, she's not a, a yes woman, just kind of go with the flow. Like, you know, <laughs> you had a lot of, not at all. a lot of good hoops to jump through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. Wow, that's so so interesting hearing your story, like how it started, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, where did in there, um, even as your church has been transitioning, I know we talked, you know, a little bit um, last year, but where did where did your heart really start? changing toward diversity and how has your uh, your relationships shifted in that in having um, that happen in your life where, uh, where that's been changing you? Because I know like uh, we have our own worlds, right? And even for me, I had, you know, white friends, Hispanic friends, but I had my church world and I didn't invite them into my church world. Like that was yeah. that was solely for for me. And so what did that shift for you? And even as your church has been transitioning that, how has that been? Um, uh, yeah. For you guys. How's yeah. I, I would say uh, for me, the, um, the turning point where, uh, so we planted in, in, so the wealth kind of has a two tiered history where it was a, a multi-site uh, service. And then we planted it in 2012 and we were just happy to like, keep doing what we're doing to reach young adults, young professionals in our city. But the turning point for me where I knew like there's a bigger conversation that we needed to have was in 2014. And, and that's where uh, you had these young men um, uh, being killed by um, uh, authority figures, uh, police officers. Um, it, it was just this 
like snowball effect in my mind. And so I was watching, you know, news about Tamir Rice and, and um, Michael Brown. And, and it, like I was, it was, it was inundating, I would say in 2013, 14. And it, for me, uh, just reached this point of this is, this is undeniable. And, and I have to do something about that. So, so I'm an Enneagram one. And so I'm a, I'm a reformer. And I'm, that also means um, to a large degree, when, when I feel like something is right, and, and it's the just thing to do, it's worth pouring all my time and attention into addressing it. And, and that's how I felt in 2014, uh, that this couldn't, this wasn't just a problem out there, that this was that, that this was just on the news cycle and we were talking about this and I could either continue to ignore it in the kind of Midwestern, you know, Kansas bubble that I existed in, or, you know, because of social media, because of, of 24 hours news cycle, I, I just had to, had to address it. And we chose after many, many conversations of like, just trying to figure out like, how, how does our church speak to these issues um, to really address it head on, to preach about it, to um, challenge people and, and, and do things like that. And so one of the things in late 2014, uh, Sarah and I preached a message together called, uh, called Black Lives Matter. I think that's just what it was called. Um, and, and there were a couple of denominations that had chosen to set aside this particular Sunday in December to observe Black Lives Matter Sunday. And, and, and the Wesleyan Church wasn't necessarily a part of that, but there were these other other big ministries that that wanted to observe that. And so that's what we did. We interrupted our preaching schedule and said, we just, we have to address this. We, we have to talk about this. And one of the next steps that I gave everyone is to reach out to their, their, to, to a black friend and ask them a couple questions to ask them, what is it like being black in America today? Uh, and the other one that we asked our, our friend was what, what would you recommend that we as, as community leaders and as faith leaders, what should we do about this, the, the issue of racism in America? And I remember uh, we, we called up a friend um, and we asked these questions. He's a, he's a pastor's kid. Um, we've known him. We, we, we've done some prayer and worship alongside him. He was in grad school uh, here at K-State. And the stories he told us, uh, we're just heart wrenching about having the conversation, the, 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 the conversation, right? Having the talk with his dad about hoodies and, and backpacks and hands in pockets and things like that. Uh, the stories he would tell, uh, 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 told us about um, just what it was like being, being a kid in, in Chicago and America. And I was, I was so, um, I was so ashamed, honestly, like it was one of those if, if the Lord gives like a conviction that results in this positive shame, if I can say it like that, because I just thought, how do I not know this about my friend? This guy loves Jesus. We're on his support team. He like, he's a wonderful man and, and a wonderful man of God. And there's this whole side of him that I feel like I don't know about. And why have I not been maybe a safe person to talk to? And why have I not thought to ask these questions? of my, of my friends of color. And, and so that's what did it for us. We, we, uh, yeah, we journeyed that out. We walked that out and, and we started to look for opportunities then to preach on justice and not just, not just on like, uh, MLK, uh, weekend. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That, I mean, that's, we wanted to do that. Right. Yeah, but, yeah. but to actually look for it, to, uh, to address it and to, you know, if I did a, a, a God on film series, to, to choose one intentionally to talk about racism and, and justice. And, and uh, yeah, the, we've just really leaned into it in any way we can. I mean, we, we still have a predominantly white church. Um, it's, it's still, we, we do not have a divide, uh, diverse church. And, and that, that's become our prayer. And, and we have talked about ways to, and, and undergone some learning and, and some, some different cohorts and things like that to position ourselves. But we, uh, yeah, we really, we want, we want our church to be a, a, um, a place where people can come and, and ask hard questions and even be a place um, that we can disagree because we want, I don't want an echo chamber 
um, I want a place for, for um, a white nationalist to come and to disagree, but feel safe coming back. Like they're not going to be condemned or shunned or canceled or any of that stuff. People need time. We need a time to be on this journey. And, and I want to have a place um, to, to, for people can have time to walk this out, walk this out and have the hard conversations, but go, but you know what? I feel really loved there and, and they don't agree. I'm on the complete opposite side, but they want me to come back. So that that's where we've been. Uh, and that's how we've journeyed on, on this, this conversation. I got so many, so many questions from there. One, it's going to be a shameless plug, but I'm actually starting a, a consulting coaching company called C2 to help churches transition wow. to being multi-ethnic diverse because okay. I really believe that there's churches out there that want to just want to know how do we take those steps yeah. um, to, be, to be intentional about being diverse. Mm -hmm. um, but when you started um, preaching about Black Lives Matter and yeah. reaching out to, to those who are Black Hispanic from a church perspective, um, how did you get pushback from your leadership? And did you get any pushback from your church saying, you're doing a social gospel, just preach Jesus? How, how did you navigate that over, yeah. over these years? Because, because this year isn't new to you. You've been doing it since, you know, 14. And so yeah. help us talk, talk to us through, like, what you have witnessed from your church and leaders throughout the good and the bad. Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting you ask. Um, I would not bring this up because any like heartache that I've, <laughs> that we've received is like so minuscule compared to what other people have had to endure in churches and from leadership. But I'm, I'm, I think I'm willing, I'm definitely willing to answer that because hopefully there's some, some uh, white leaders out there that can like just maybe emotionally process the cost of it. Right. Cause there is a cost to it. Yeah, just, so just a, what's just really a, interesting just a, to me uh, is giving that, ex, uh, talking about expectations of like what it'll be like. Like if you're if you're part of the majority culture and you start work start yeah. speaking up on justice, it's good to know what to expect. Absolutely. Uh, and so, so yeah, absolutely. Talk a and little so, about what, that. what's really interesting is okay. So in 2013, um, I preached through the the book of Acts. We spent I think 40 weeks because it's like, hey, we we want to have we want to cultivate this su supernatural culture, and this is a book about church planting, like the early church. They're planting churches like crazy. So you see the power of God, and you see the mission of God and the people of God coming together. And so I got to um, the the uh, uh, the Jerusalem Council and and Acts 15, where they have a conversation about. What does it take to become a part of the church of Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah, right? And to me, the lens that I approached it through was th this is a text on xenophobia and racism. And, and that's how I preached it. And, and I said, hey, we, we have underlying um, uh, biases that we need to confront. We have things that, that hold people back from becoming a part of the community of God. Some of that xenophobia, some of that's racism and and. It was really interesting because I had a line of people coming up to me and saying, wow, that was really tough to hear, but thank you so much for your boldness. That was 2013. A year later, we preached the Black Lives Matter, and oh my goodness, guys, I think, I think the anxiety in the nation and just the pressure yep. was so high, people could not handle it. Wow. I had so many phone calls wow. from people who were in that service. I remember them being at that service, didn't have a problem we preach on black lives matter and it's like something exploded. It, it was, it was very hard after that. Uh, Tyler, I think you moved right around. The <laughs> he said, see you later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I He's moved, like, I'm out. Uh, I, I don't moved, know if you were there for that message, I but anyway, right, it, was, it was December. So in the midst of or right after the ax series is when we, but moved. it was, it was really interesting because um, I had people that I had been that helped plant the church knew our hearts for people um, where we were in small groups together and they were sit on our couch and go, is this the kind of church that we are? And if so, I think we're going to leave. We're really thinking about it. I, I'd have people come and, and not, and, and I had this, I had people, I had a person sit on my couch and say, I'm really upset and, and really like couldn't tell me why and where they disagreed and where they disagreed scripturally. But, but I just knew like there's a lot, going on in people's lives and how they're emotionally processing 
what they're seeing on the news and what they're now hearing in church. Church is, I, I think for a, a lot of people been the safe place where they don't have to hear hard things and everybody looks like them and everybody votes like them and everybody agrees with all the things. And now we're, we're kind of, we're addressing some things. We're poking at some underlying issues where they have to, uh, um, you know, look deeper in their hearts than they had ever been. Um, and, and that was really troubling. I had phone calls uh, where, you know, people would hang up on me. I, one person, I shouldn't say people, I'm trying to be accurate here, but it, it was hard. And I just, as an Enneagram one, there are some things I would say differently, but I wouldn't do it any differently. You know what I mean? I would, I would still choose. Um, our church took a hit over it. There were people that left. There were people that, and there were people probably that ghosted that were not even, I didn't even realize, you know, that, 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 that weren't there very, very long after because of this. So it's been tough. It, it's been, been difficult, but I, I think the credibility of just being like keeping to it, continuing to address the issue of racism I think we have made bigger inroads with um, people of color, with pastors who, who pastor black churches, and and that makes the difference. That that I want I want them to know we're really allies, and we're willing to take the hits. We're willing uh, to say the hard things. To not I remember in our, our book study that you know, in, Insider Outsider where we brought up like pastors who have someone come take the pulpit for. MLK weekend to say the hard things to their churches. And to me, not growing up in church and, you know, not, I don't know that that's a thing to me. It's like pastor says the hard things. That's what you do. You're there to shepherd and part of shepherding is correction. Right. And so uh, I want to be the one to, to say the hard things because I, I have the credibility built up with the church to say, I, I care about you. I love you. You remember I'm your pastor and we're going to say some hard things. And so anyway, it's, it's been difficult and we've had, we, Sarah and I've had many hard nights talking through, um, you know, who, who, when you find out who your friends are, when you bring up hard topics. And I think that's been the most costly is the loss in relationships to us. But for us, it's the right thing to do. It's justice is a part of the gospel um, that reconciliation, restoration is a, is a part of the gospel. And we want to preach not a truncated gospel that just says, pray, to, pray a prayer <laughs> to Jesus and you'll go to heaven when you die. It's, it's really about how can I make this world better? How can I improve other people's conditions? How can I work for acceptance and, and, and uh, stronger relationships holistically? Josh, I appreciate you so much. I think, uh, you know, being in a multi-ethnic uh, church now, I know that when I speak up or say some things that I'm, I'm going to get a handful of encouragement uh, from mm-hmm. some people, but being in a majority white church where you're continuing to say those, the same things that I'm saying, yeah. uh, but to, to do so when you get, you're going to get more heart emails and heart conversations, that, that takes courage. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I just want to affirm your courage, man. I also want to affirm your curiosity you basically just said, and this is helpful for our listeners, that that God shaped you and put you on this trajectory because you were you 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 thought to yourself, you had the humility to say, I might like my view, my worldview is not perfectly accurate, and I need to learn and be curious. I need to ask my friends of color what what are the, your experiences, help me to understand. That's been a theme across all of our episodes so far. Is this that curiosity? That the humility, that listening piece, um, and so that I hope listeners take take that away. Like I want to be a listener. I don't want to assume that my views and my worldview are, is right, but I want to listen. Um, so yeah. I just want to just affirm that about you, man. And um, thanks. Yeah. And, and to even piggyback on on what you shared, um, if you're listening, go back and watch Scott Booth. We had him on, professor from um, Pillar Seminary. Um, Theology and Biblical Narrative, Old Testament. Um, and so he just broke it down on justice. And he said, um, which, is what you, which is what you shared, is that um, if, if hurt, as a Christian, if you see hurting and it doesn't trigger you, then you have an incomplete gospel. Yeah. Because th- the gospel is, is God redeeming us, hurtful people who, who needed a Savior, then he tells us, now you go and do the same 
as I have done to you. But oftentimes, we, he said this, and I love it. He said, we want, we want the reward of the gospel, but not the root of the gospel. And mm-hmm. we just want, just me and Jesus, I'm thankful I'm going mm-hmm. to heaven, that's it. But we don't want to do what God has actually called us to do. And that should trigger us to continue to fight for the marginalized, the hurting, the abused, the, the, um, uh, those who, who can't speak up or have a voice. Those are people we need to be running to and helping them just as Christ has done to us. And you are doing that and continue to do that in a space where um, it's not the uh, popular thing to be doing or to be preaching right now. And you are doing that. Yeah. Well, and, and we've, we've borne the fruit of it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's must, I think there's a point at which um, we've just got to where we have supportive leaders around us now, not, you know, man, Manhattan is really transient. So, and, and as, as Tyler, you were saying earlier, we have people that come in from different church backgrounds and that's, that's by design. Uh, we we want to have kind of this big tent gospel uh, where we have people from different different backgrounds, and and with that, that means people are going to come in with their different worldviews and, and and whatnot. And so this is something we're continuing having to talk about, and we have really supportive leadership right now, and and we really for the most part have had supportive leadership in the past, but right now um, they're really cheering Sarah and I on um, when we're you know at the rallies or doing interviews like this or. Uh, working for other, they're 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 on board with it, and so that that really helps to know who has your back, and and even if there are hard conversations that still have to happen, like because no one has arrived on this, I have lots of work to continue to do, and and our leaders have lots of work to continue to do. But knowing that we come from a place of we're in relationship together, and we can say hard things, and we can discover hard things together makes all the difference. And so for, yeah, anybody, any church leader out there or any leaders out there that, that are uh, under uh, on this journey as well, I, I think like there's fruit of relationship that's, that's going to come out of this. And so it won't always be turmoil and, and yeah. Be yeah. Breakthrough. So one of the things that, one of the reasons I'm excited to have you on the show is because of your context. Uh, so, mm. you know, Manhattan has a division one school uh, but Manhattan isn't the most diverse place in the world. Uh, you said you're, it's pre- church is primarily white at this point, and you're, you're being proactive in that. So I, I love that because there's a lot of people that are probably listening who are going to be in small towns, smaller communities. It's not going to be extremely diverse. And kind of the thought goes, well, what, what more can I do? Sure. Like, can I do mm-hmm. anything? Right. Or does this only apply to people who are in cities like, right. you know, Omaha, Chicago, and, and St. Louis? And, and so uh, what, what would you say um, to the people who are asking the question, well, what can I do, uh, even, even though I have a 99% or 100% white church, yeah. majority yeah. church? Like, what, what can they do? <laughs> there's probably a black church in your vicinity and I would say, do what you can to start building a relationship. Don't, I would say, don't, you have a Google machine. So use that on your research, (laughs) build relationship, have coffee, have, you know, whatever we can. I know it's COVID and it's tough, but you know, get, get to know the black pastors in your area and, and figure out, is there a way that you can, you know, have a, do a joint worship project or h- how can you serve them? How can you um, just get to know them? And and it's going to take time because there have been lots of white pastors who've said, let's, let's do this justice thing together. And they don't last. And so build, build a relationship for its own sake and you'll see it overflow into how you lead, how you see people, how you treat people, et cetera. I would also say if, if you're a, um, I've heard it said leadership comes with a microphone. And so whatever, to whatever degree, if you're a youth pastor, if you're a worship pastor, if you're a lead pastor, you've got a microphone to some degree, you've got a social media platform. And even if your town is small, your voice can be big because it can reach far and you can be an advocate on Facebook. You can be an advocate on Twitter. Don't be obnoxious about it. Uh, seek to learn. And again, use Google on your own. Don't, don't reach out and get other leaders, other black leaders to do, to, to explain everything to you. Do your own reading, do, do your own, own um, uh, Google searches on that. 
And uh, that, that's what I would say. For, for us, we're fortunate to have K-State and to have Fort Riley nearby. That brings a lot of diversity. Uh, it's, it's not an overwhelming portion of our city, but it does bring some diversity. And so you can look for opportunities like that. Is there, you know, you might live in um, like some, some of these towns with, um, um, I don't know, like Tyson packing and stuff like that it tends to draw a lot of Hispanic workers. Is there something that you can do to, to serve them, to get to know them, things like that. So I think you have to look for the opportunity and it may just be one person that you get to know. But Jesus, is, he came for the one, right? He came for the one. And so he sent us all for the one. It might be one person. You may never get a book written uh, or a blog written about your, your, your outreach to a, a, an under-resourced population, but Jesus knows. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. I think about, you know, I came from a town of 700 people, you know, really mm. small. And I think how amazing it would be if, if, if they were doing something like you did, a Black Lives Matter uh, uh, sermon series, or just really honestly, just preaching the text fully. You know, as you go through Paul's letters, he's always hammering on the horizontal aspects of the gospel and bringing people together. And if that was taught in a small town of 700 people, like my town, like pretty much all white, uh, and, they had, and they were learning that and then came to K-State and came to your church, man, it would be awesome for to be sending people into your church who already had that yeah. mindset. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's things that you can do, even if you're in a 100% white uh, town. Uh, and, and the stats show that, that by 2045, uh, the white population, majority population, is going to dip under 50% for the first time, yeah. Yeah. which means that our whole nation is becoming diverse. So it's only a yeah. matter of time between all of our small towns and, and every city has diversity. Sure. The yeah. question is, are we moving towards that trajectory now or are we going to be obsolete and die out in, in, a, in a couple so decades? And, and I tell you, I, here, my conviction is if any church leader is not positioning themselves right now to learn and to use their voice, they're irrelevant in a few years, in a few decades. Because Gen Z expects justice. And a, a church that is monocultural, monoethnic, and is not talking about these things does not compute for them. And so this, in a, in a way, it, I mean, if, if we're talking a lot as church leaders, how to reach the next generation, justice is a way. And I'm telling you, if we don't do it, there are plenty of other organizations that will talk justice talk to them, and, and it will not happen with a gospel-oriented framework. And so to me, that that's sobering. And, and this is why I have to do this also for my kids. I have to do this for their friends. I have to do this because not only is it the right thing to do, but it is a pathway. I don't know if it's the pathway, but it is a huge pathway to reaching the next generation. Yeah. And it's not pragmatic. It's not saying, hey, we need to talk more about justice right. so that we can get more people in our church. It's right. no, we just need to, to, to not be afraid to preach the Bible yeah. fully. And when it's in, you know, Loris talks about, you know, when it's in the passage, preach it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we like to skip over it, but, yeah. but when it's in the text, Preach on it when you know when Paul is confronting Peter in Galatians, and and yeah. Paul is trying to reconcile the Jewish and Galatian, um, the Gentile church. Like preach the the tension, and not just trying to get more theology on on on, on why you know on on what Paul's talking about, but why, and yeah. then living that out. You yeah. know, and that's different. That's that I think piece that we miss. We like to learn, and and that was great for Paul. That was great for what he did. Yes. But then we just, and just leave the same and don't go do what he, what he was talking about. Right. So continue to that's put right. into action. And I think that's, um, I think that's has lacked as pastors and leaders. We've, we've been, um, been content with just uh, the Sunday preaching and, f and having people feel good after that, but not actually leading them into what it looks like and creating environments for them to step into so that they can build relationships. Um, I'm still fleshing this out, but I think oftentimes so it's not it's not so much racism, but relationalism. Yeah. Like mm. like I still mm. have relationships yeah. that yeah. push on things. You know what I mean? And so to to create environments for relationships to happen, I think is just as important for the uh, the current young leaders and pastors 
for us to continue to move forward and to lead in diverse nation and country that, that God has called us into. So, yeah. yeah. That's so good. Are there any other big obstacles you see as you try to, to build diverse disciples in your, in your church? Uh, are there any other like obstacles that you've run into that have been preventing your church from heading that direction? The election. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it, it's just the, the polarization and how, um, you know, the fight for justice and, and equality has been um, relegated to a side, a partisan side, and instead of the, the church seeing it as our, our job to work for justice. Um, I think there are a lot of these just preach the gospel type of, type of leaders um, and, and what they mean is we're not going to touch this issue, but we're going to do this other issue, you know? So it's been the dichotomy between like, we'll speak against abortion, but racism just preach the gospel at it. Right. And, and for some reason there are these ideological lines that mm. separate yep. the, the, the working towards justice yep. holistically. Yes, we should fight, um, uh, against injustice and however it pops up whether it be the unborn, whether it be the, the under-resourced and underprivileged, whether it be immigration, whether it be racism, it, we don't get to pick and choose right. because the scripture addresses it all. Right. And I, I think the, uh, the, the, the partisan just infighting has, has created such a deeper divide so that if you speak against racism, you're automatically a leftist yep. or a liberal, you know, and, and that's, I think, uh, really damaging. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah. We've been facing that. Yeah. That was a lot of what we talked about this year and faced. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Phil Vischer and uh, Scott Jathani put out a, a video mm-hmm. and, and kind of on, that, on that issue of should, should we vote only based on, you know, abortion? You know, should we be a single-issue voter? And, and just, I think, in the in the video, it, I'll be conservative here, but they said over 80% of the, the black church uh, voted uh, Democrat and over 80% of white evangelicals voted Republican. So it's, it's yeah. very arrogant to say, you know, the, the, you know, the black church is, sure. is all wrong sure. and we're right. Like that's, yeah. that's extremely right. arrogant to yeah. say, when you start asking questions, why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Um, so good. you either have to come at it from a, um, the black church, has deficient theology leading them to do that, or I think you really have to dive deeper into exploring why. And that goes back to the relationalism of, do I actually have any black friends who would tell me the truth if I asked them about why they voted the way that they did? So that's, that's the, you're, you're kind of in a bind and you have to choose like, curiosity is, is, is free. It only costs you your worldview, right? And that's where people, that's where the tension is for a lot of people. So good. So your wife, Sarah, is a phenomenal leader. Uh, tell us a little bit about what she's up to and, and how she's yeah. seeking to leverage her leadership abilities for, for justice. I'd love to hear you talk about her. Yeah, we're really excited about, about what she's up to. She, she um, I forgot to mention back in 2014, also she, uh, she, uh, she hosted a uh, Black Lives Matter rally down in, in Aggieville and Triangle Park. So she's always been really activistic. She, uh, again, uh, when there's a rally here in town, um, she's one of the first people to be there and to host and, and to, to uh, try and figure out how to serve. And so she, uh, people, you know, have seen her out in the community. She's been on the uh, front page of the newspaper a couple times, in fact, um, doing things like that. Uh, what she's up to here recently is that she just uh, stepped into executive uh, directorship of an organization called Spark that's a startup. Uh, and it's, it's an entrepreneurial center. So it wants to, uh, Spark wants to take the, the resources and, and the networking that's available uh, and pull it together so that um, new business owners can, can launch their, their business and sustain it successfully. And so one of the, one of the huge things that, that, that is on her heart, she's working uh, to have diversity on her uh, board of directors so that's that's really huge for her to have have uh, various voices speaking in to how they lead and how they help business owners. But also she's working uh, and advocating alongside uh, the black entrepreneurs entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills. And so she really wants to see um, 
uh, uh, black business owners thrive because if you if you take like the CARES package that came out, uh, right, uh, a lot of black business owners uh, could did not qualify for the the um, the the grants because they were sole proprietors, so they did not have their LLC. They they hadn't uh, they weren't set up previous to this situation happening to to COVID happening, and so they couldn't qualify for the money to to help their businesses. Um, uh, sustain themselves and, and even grow during this time. And so that's huge on her heart to say, you know, the, 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 uh, a lot of businesses are, are the majority of businesses in our area are white owned and they're all networked together. They know how this, this works. They know how to, to set up the LLC. They have resources to do that. They know how to apply for the grants, but we have um, under-resourced and, and maybe just people that are not networked uh, the same, and and they're unaware of the things that that are available to them. So how do we advocate, and and how do we network the black business owners together so they they can have access to the same funding that that is out there? So that's that's one thing that that are uh, uh, quite a few things actually that she's working on right now. Amazing leader, <laughs> and didn't she run for uh, run for office at, like in Manhattan? Yeah. What was that? What was she, she did. running for? She ran for city commission, um, just like lost by hair. Um, And so that was a year ago that she did that. But this is what opened the door. She was recruited to lead Spark about eight days later. And so, you know, God uses all things. So we're, we're, uh, I can't imagine being on a city, city commission leading through COVID. That would be very stressful um, because it is, it, you do that job on top of like your career. So very stressful time. This is actually something she gets to do on on the ground you know level what she had been campaigning and wanting to do uh for uh, being pro business pro entrepreneurs that sort of thing so she gets to um do that uh, uh, in this sphere which is really really good i just want to point out how amazing amazing it is that she was organizing a rally and doing that like <laughs> because because yeah. you know years ago i would have seen that as excessive mm-hmm. causing disturbance you know, we have that. We've mentioned this in previous episodes, but that just the command by from Paul to to live peaceably with all, as far as it depends on us, yeah. and we sort yeah. of apply that to these matters, saying, "Hey, it's unnecessary to go and go to a rally or to protest. That's that's excessive. That's causing disturbance." And yet, that's what uh, the prophets did. Uh, the prophets mm-hmm. came and and used the prophetic voice to speak against injustice, yeah. and it's a major hole uh, in our theology today. Uh, where it's it's a it's a tragedy that we see those things uh, as being excessive or not necessary or contrary to, to peace or, or to not see them as peacemaking um, yeah. Yeah. Um, strategies um, and so so I've just totally changed my mind on all that uh, in in mm-hmm. the recent years mm-hmm. and so I just really love that she's doing that <laughs> she her wife is 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 she's <laughs> man, she's a beast she you know that rally it was it was freezing cold. And she was organizing it when she had a preschooler and a six-month-old baby and, and battling through some postpartum depression, but still like, hey, this, this is, we got to do this. Because we, Sarah and I, we don't want to be the leaders that rush in and take the lead on everything. Like we want to make space and, and be in our, like serve as much as possible. But when she saw that really no one else was spearheading something like that, uh, she reached out to the Black Student Union. She reached out to other other uh, uh, persons of color and, and said, "Hey, what is it? Would you come? Could could we pull together and and I'll go get the permit and and we'll make it work." And so, yeah, I just I have to give her uh, lots of lots of props for doing stuff like that because that's that's just who she is. And and so I I was a lot like you. Like I don't really understand this. I don't really is this necessary? This kind of seems like you know making a lot. Uh, you know getting in the paper, you know, whatever. But yeah, years later, we're going, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Like, if if we can forget about it, it will be forgotten, right? If, 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 if we can just, you know, for the sake of unity, right, just be nice to each other, then we'll eventually work through this. And, and the reality is, no, we, we, we need things that grab people's attention and pull people together. And people need to be reminded, like, there's there's, we're, we're part of something bigger than just ourselves. We don't have to suffer alone. We don't have to, you know, stew on, on the issues alone. Yeah. We talked about with Dr. Scott Booth, 
that widows and orphans is an umbrella term in the Old Testament for the the poor and the marginalized. It's a, yeah. and I, so there's not just widows and orphans, right. but it, there's a lot of people that are on the margins. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, whenever there's a protest or a rally, it means someone on the margins is not feeling heard, yep. and we need to listen. Yep. Uh, so we don't need to be defensive about it or be worried. Like, what are they trying to say? And we need to listen. It should draw yeah. our incline our ear to, to listen. What are some, so you're curious, you're a learner, Josh, that's one of the uh, things we've affirmed. What, what sort of resources, uh, books, what, what, what has helped shape your understanding of, of this idea of justice and diversity? Like, yeah. can you share some, some resources for our listeners? Yeah. So uh, probably the, the book I refer people and, and especially white leaders, white pastors to the most is a book called White Awake by Daniel Hill. He's a, uh, he's a pastor in Chicago who had had a vision to plant a multicultural church and went into the city as an outsider. Well, he wasn't too much of an outsider, but went into the inner city and it failed spectacularly. So it's his journey of like becoming aware of the uh, racial injustice and how to lead through that and how to, how to welcome people into his church that don't look like him. One line from the book that just really uh, gutted me was he challenged, challenged us to look at our bookshelf and look at the people that you're reading, how many of them are white and how many of them are persons of color, how many women are on your bookshelves. To me, that was, that just really wrecked me. And so that's a book that takes you through those stages of, like I said, becoming aware. That's just one, one little nugget. Another one is Jamar Tisby, The Color of Compromise. Uh, that's a phenomenal book about uh, the, the history of racism in the church in America um, it's just a good history lesson. You don't learn about this stuff uh, in school. You don't learn about it in church. And so he's a historian, uh, graduated from Notre Dame, and is, a, is just a phenomenal um, uh, communicator. Um, I would say I, I really enjoyed the Insider Outsider book by Brian Loretz. That was a good one to talk through with a group of people and a diverse group of people. And then the other thing, the Witness podcast is phenomenal because it is so different than anything I've ever been exposed to. It's Jamar Tisby and uh, I forget his co-host. You guys know his co-host? Uh, I'm forgetting. Tyler Burns. Tyler Burns is his co-host. And um, they talk about just culture and church and uh, racism and, and just a lot of those things together. And it's it's phenomenal to get a different perspective on church in America today by two, two men who lo- obviously love Jesus have had a different church background than, than many, many people. And uh, that's phenomenal. So three books and a podcast. And, and so you pick however you want um, <laughs> to take that in. Actually, I think color, the color of compromise is on, they've got a, a study on Amazon prime. Like you can, you can, if you got prime, you can go watch it for free. He's got a, a companion to that book that I think is a standalone as well. And then other than that, like movies have been really enlightening to me. Like, I've, I've made a list of movies that I just, you know, I, I like Marvel movies. I like stuff to blow up. I like, you know, whatever. But to go in and look at like historical drama movies, Selma, um, uh, uh, is it Worst of Enemies, Best of Enemies? I can't remember. Um, you know, different things like that. The, the Black Klansmen. And just getting uh, like familiar with different uh, directors and artists and creatives telling stories about what it's like being a person of color in America, I, I really uh, have enjoyed doing that. And then Blackish, Blackish is phenomenal as well because if you can laugh at yourself yes. and your your racist ideas, like that helps it. Like <laughs> I think go down easier. That that show that uh, was one of the questions we we asked. Uh, the Western Church has a, um, a a diversity director, and and we met with him for brunch one day and said, "Hey, tell us some some things that we can do." And he goes, "Watch Blackish. That's a great show." And obviously, it's not a from a Christian perspective, but to hear a pastor and a leader say, you know, this, this part of pop culture can actually do a good job of educating you and some of the history and some of the things, because there's three generations of blackness that are trying to wrestle with their worldview and seeing, you know, how they fit in, into culture and things like that. That's been really helpful to me. Man, blackish is great. I remember watching it and, uh, the the main character they they at his work they made him the director of urban outreach (laughs) and and then we started talking about that of man how many if you go to websites how many uh black men do do we know 
um, who are like the director of urban outreach yeah. or like of mm-hmm. outreach and why aren't they lead pastors and co-lead yeah. pastors and like why why do why do they keep getting fit into that mold you know because um, yeah. and, and so that, that has created good conversations even with us yeah. and our team yeah. so yeah I'll give you one more okay and this is you guys take this for what it's worth black Twitter is phenomenal like just shaping a worldview. Like I have, you know, some Jamar Tisby, Tyler Burns, um, some of these uh, uh, propaganda, some some of these other like faith based really helps me because I, I want to I want to understand how people are talking about issues that come up, and especially like the election. I, I want to know. Like I have my you you know perspective on things, but I want to get outside. And I think Twitter is phenomenal because you can curate who who you follow and and who's on the list and whatnot. And you can interact with just anybody around the world and you can shut up and learn and, and okay. So I see this going on and, and as a, as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, as, as a community leader, here's how I would respond to that. But I wonder how someone outside my bubble is seeing this as well. And the conversations that people get into is phenomenal. That's really helped me kind of step outside of Facebook, outside of Instagram and really get into. So I love Twitter. Don't follow me on Twitter. I'm kind of salty. (laughs) <laughs> but it's a phenomenal space to be in to just like get other opinions. Man, this has been so great, yeah. Josh, yeah. with you. Um, we'll have to have Appreciate you back it. again. I just am proud of you, uh, you know, as a fellow white guy on this journey <laughs> uh, together. Uh, just proud of what you're doing. You were on this journey uh, before I was. Uh, and so mm. it's, it's fun to look back at the timeline and see how God, you know, just in that Black Lives Matter uh, sermon series and just the courage there early, early on, you know, uh, I just, yeah, I'm proud of you and, and hope that a lot of listeners can, can learn from you. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to get these things handed to us, these resources, and like, we're going to have to go out and find them. Yeah. We're going to go have to make, we're gonna have to go make friends uh, of people of color to learn. We're gonna have to go out and get resources because they're not just, we talked about that in Evan's episode. He went to primarily white theological institution where there was no no black authors no latino authors mm-hmm. so you have to go above and beyond to go find those resources yeah. and so it's a yeah. it takes work takes effort uh and and you're just really modeling that well man so i know jameson's proud of you as well yeah, man. excited think, to, to continue to grow with you and hopefully get down to hang with you as soon as covid kind of slows down yeah. you know by the time right. this is aired we'll see where it's at but um but thankful for what god's doing in your heart and your church and uh, and just a friendship that that God is forming with us. So, yeah. yep. Well, thanks for being uh, being on. Tell your wife hi for us, and um, we'll hopefully do. we'll maybe get you back on again sometime. Excellent. Thank you to you both.